Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Shh. This is week four. You've made it through weeks one, two, and three. What's the acronym we are running with so far? Hope. H stood for? Honesty. O stood for? Openness. Tonight stands for? Presence. That's right. That's going to be very good. We're going to do a little recap. We're going to do some rewinding real fast. And um, if we can, real quickly... Take everything that's in your hands, notes, everything like that, cups, just put it down for a minute. Take a deep breath and close your eyes. There's a good chance I'll only get half of you back because the room's so warm right now. So relax, close your eyes for a second. As we talked about openness last week, the idea that we can suspend our disbelief, what if? Asking the question of what if. I gave you the assignment last weekend or last week to contemplate the if you could dream, if you could have anything you want, what would it be kind of idea. I'm going to kind of put some specifics around that right now. Let your, let your body be just relaxed at the moment. And I want you to picture where you live right now. Just where you live. And I want you to picture yourself coming home after a long day, as you come home in front of wherever you're living, there are three or four fire trucks. And as you um, are trying to figure out what's happened, you realize that your house and all of your possessions, all of your belongings are now gone. The entire building has burnt down. You own nothing. You have absolutely nothing left. Your car was in the garage, so it's gone your clothes, everything is gone. The only thing you have right now is the shoes on your feet and the clothes on your back. And while you're standing there, and as your world has kind of um, come to an end, someone walks up behind you and um, taps you on the shoulder and says, I'm so very sorry for your loss. Um, I'm not sure if you knew it or not, but your home was actually insured. It was insured for $2 million. Here's a check. And now you have a check for $2 million. You can do whatever you want with that money. You are allowed to do whatever you want with that money to rebuild your life. So the question is, what kind of home would you build? Would you build the same kind of home? Would you build a better home? What kind of decorations, decor, furniture? You could put anything you want in it. What kind of clothing? Would you buy the same type of clothing or would you go for a whole different wardrobe? What kind of car, what kind of bike? What kind of transportation would you have? Would you buy the same old 20-year-old beat-up Honda? <laughs> or would you upgrade? What would you get? What would you find? When you're ready, you can open your eyes. That scenario is a down-to-earth idea, a concept that Scripture talks about 
um, often, the idea of dying to your old self. What if your entire life as you know it were destroyed and you had a chance to rebuild it? Your old self is gone. How would you rebuild it? Would you go hang out with the same friends? Would you work at the same place? If you could rebuild it, what would you do? Did any of you taste the reality of that? Could you actually get behind the idea of, yeah, I'd like a do-over, please. I would love a do-over. I would, you know, how many of you take advantage of that? I came across an interesting principle actually just today, and I threw it into the notes because it was um, one I hadn't heard about lately. And it's a, it got me thinking. Here's the principle. It's actually called the, va the vacuum law of prosperity. Anyone heard of that one before? Okay, I feel really good that I'm not the only one who missed it. The vacuum law of prosperity states that two things cannot take up the same space, so we must let something go before we can let the new thing enter in. Another way of putting it is you've got to get rid of what you don't want to make room for what you do want. Your closet is packed full of stuff, and you can't put anything else in until what? You, you get the old stuff out, you make room. So many of us go, well, I don't know what the new stuff is, so I'm going to hold on to the old stuff because i got to keep it packed in there. And what if? What if you go through a little spring cleaning, emotional spring cleaning, and say, what is the stuff I can get rid of? I'm going to no longer hold on to, what is it? Bad relationship, bad story, bad experience, bad this, bad that. And I'm going to choose not to hold on to it anymore. I'm going to just empty that spot out. Now, I got some space to let it fill in with something else. But you got to fill it in with something else. And I would suggest filling it in with something good. Don't substitute for one bad thing for a new bad thing. Um, but this idea of you got to actually clear out, clean home before you can get any more space in there. That was an interesting idea to me. I, I thought someone was pretty smart, whoever came up with that one. It's not bad. Um, did anyone run with their homework last week? Remember what the homework was? What was the homework? What if? To dream. Would anyone be willing to share what that experience was like for them? A little check-in real fast. Yeah. I was checking my email, and this little thing from Vista Print came up. Uh-huh. And it said 250 free business cards. Yes. And I sat and I started to visualize, like two years from now, when I have my degree, when everything is rolling. So I picked out the card. I picked the color. Excellent. I picked the name of Gopi. Right Excellent. below it, it says counseling, coaching, yep. therapy, my yep. phone numbers, my name, my address. You know, on the back, you can flip the card over. And now it's costing me like six bucks because I don't want just cheap cards. Sure. I want gloss. Absolutely. <laughs> upgrade, upgrade. It says, you know, your, your time for your appointment and this and that. And it's like, so $3 more for shipping, so my free business cards are costing me like 11 bucks. Right. But it was fun to sit and dream and see what it's going to be like. I mean, there it is, you know. Did you order them? I did. Good for you. 
You're welcome to one when I get them. I hope so. In fact, all of you are going to get one when he gets them. Okay, we'll just be passing those out. Yes. Well done. Putting some action behind the dream. Very nice. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else get a chance to put some action behind it or just even consider the possibility? All right. I left it, I kind of skipped over it real fast last week, and I want to come back and tag it with regards to the openness piece, because if we don't do this, I think we're going to miss out on one of the um, essential ingredients for this whole shame concept, because the whole reason of going through the acronym, you know, honesty, openness, presence, and then experience or exposure is so that we can overcome shame, so I want to make sure that we kind of connect those things, and I... And I kind of flew over it because we ran out of time last week, but I want to make sure we come back and tag some of this, all right? Um, when you open yourself up to some new possibilities, when you actually conceive that things could be different, when you no longer are trying to fight or, or convince yourself or other people of how bad you are or how bad, how bad circumstances in, that requires you make a shift um, from having that control within yourself to letting go of that control. We talked about kind of what that, what that looked like, being able to let go of that control. And that requires a leap of faith. You don't have any tangible evidence <coughs> that what you believe is actually going to be true, right? That openness of what if I am not that bad? Again, I, there should be all sorts of evidence that I am bad, but when you don't have that evidence, you have to say, I'm going to take a leap of faith. It's actually a spiritual practice. It's Hebrews 11, having faith in things not seen. Being able to move into a place of trust and say, I don't actually know how this is going to work out, but I think I'm going to try it anyway. Why is that so hard, folks? Why do we not like taking leaps of faith in a practical, hands-on, daily Place. What stops us from making those steps? Seeing is believing. Absolutely. And so we have to see it and then we'll believe it. So we're called to do the opposite. You said what? Failure. Expand on that a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah things that we've tried over and over and still haven't got any traction in must not be possible. Any other reasons why we don't take those steps of faith? Change. What do you mean? Uh, it's just good to have things familiar. It might not be great, but I can wake up and I know I do A, B, and C, and I'll get this. That's the way it's always been. The known hell phenomenon. Yep. It's known. I don't like it, but it's known, so here I stay. Absolutely. Absolutely. What others think of you? What is it being judged? That's a good one. Taking criticism of why are you doing this? It doesn't. Because it's all about me, and you know, everybody really cares. It's <laughs> <laughs> so important. It's really, I thought it was all about me. That's weird. You see it? Huh. It's all about me, you know. You must be wrong. <laughs> yeah, afraid of what other people. Afraid of what other people might think of you if you actually take that step, and it's like, 
really? What are you doing? Really? Huh. How would you define someone who is a spiritual person? I've been wrestling with this in my life, getting, trying to get my hands around a tangible, hands-on, practical, working definition of spirituality. We hear that word is thrown around a lot. We live in Portland. It's probably used an extra bit here in Portland for all sorts of different reasons. But what do you think spirituality means? How do you guys understand it? I want to see if we get some of this dialogue going. Say it again. Being right-sized. I have no idea what that means. Humility. Humility. Can you give me a little bit more? Because I'm still not, I'm not connecting how that, and that's okay. That's my short circuit. Okay. Having a right opinion of, of ourselves. Okay. Someone else. Someone who is a spiritual person. Jimmy. Someone who's at peace with themselves and someone who has an aura, who puts off that sort of aura. Okay. Peace with yourself. I can see how they'd be part of it. Anyone else? Focus on the spiritual world. I mean, think, think of things of, of God, of heaven, of, of what this is scripture that I focused on earthly things, but on things above. And that would make a person spiritual. If they truly got to focus on the spiritual things, yes, it would. Okay. Okay. Anyone else? Danny. How do they do that? How do they maintain that focus and not get distracted by the things that could derail us? Can I ask the how question? Do you know the how question? Do you have the answer to the how question? Please have the answer to the how question. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Experience is a pretty good teacher for some of that. Let me, um, again, I, I, I would like to humbly kind of wrestle with this because I'm not going to say that I have the definitive answer, but as I have been trying to kind of get my head around it, here's some of the ingredients that I played into it. Um, I think some of what you said, I think some of what you said plays into it. Um, 
where'd Jimmy go, whatever he said. Um, there are some people who recognize there is more to this life than what, happen, what happens in the, in the tangibleness, more than going to work, more than paying our bills, more than putting on our shoes, more than you know, getting a divorce. There's people who understand that there are things on a deeper level. The, the individuals who recognize and are aware of and give priority to the behind the scenes stuff to the everyday, I would argue that that person would be a spiritual person. They recognize there's more going on than what can be seen tangibly. Um, and the reason that I kind of want to play with this definition right now is because I think that I've come to the conclusion that to overcome shame in a real, tangible, hands-on sort of way requires us to understand that there's more happening than what has actually happened to us or more than our behavior that has, you know, defined who we are in some way. I can't remember. Please remind me. Did I talk about the family trip um, in Failure 101 last year? The, you know, the family road trip? Okay, I'm getting lots of blank stares. Let's assume yeah. not. Um, Anyone take the family road trip in the station wagon as a kid going to the coast or going cross country or going to Wyoming or something like that? We did it to Colorado, okay, from Southern California to Colorado in a 1970s Chevy station wagon, blue, okay, big old boat. And when we take the um, family trip and dad, let's say dad's driving the station wagon, how does Stereotypically, what is dad's attitude on usually a, a family trip like that? We have people giggling already. Apparently, there's some knowledge there. Captain of the ship. What do you mean by captain of the ship? This is our course. This is our time. Destination. That's right. You, you hold it because we ain't stopping. We got to get from point A to point B in record time. No, we're not going to stop. No, we're not going to look at everything. Yep, here's a can if you need it, but we're not stopping. You know, hurry up, hurry up. We're five minutes behind that kind of whole stereotypical story, right? That would be someone, and again, I want to be careful here, but that would be a person who typically is unaware of the behind-the-scenes kind of spiritual experience that a road trip can provide. I would argue a father that is um, aware of those things recognizes that the destination is secondary and that the experience is primary. It doesn't matter where we get to, it's how we get there. A spiritual person is concerned about how they do things, not necessarily what they do. Okay? So the father, the spiritual father who's going on this road trip says, having a good relationship with my children, making sure that they enjoy themselves, that they're not pressured, that I'm not screaming at them, because that's a great experience. Nine hours in a car being yelled at. Please sign me up for that. That sounds great. The father who says, I'm not going to yell at my kids, and we can stop two extra times for 10 minutes total if they got to go to the bathroom. And that's not going to ruin our day because my relationship is more important than getting to the destination. If we see something cool along the way and everyone seems to be inclined to want to see it, we say, let's stop and take a look because the 
the experience of whatever that is over there might be even, might make the trip even better. Does that make sense? The experience, the how we get there is more important than the where we get to. Did you know that that's church, that's pretty much the only thing that church talks about? <laughs> a little strange. Church doesn't spend a whole lot of time telling you, okay, you should be a dentist, and you should be an engineer, and you should be a custodian, and you should be, you know, a nuclear physicist. They don't tell us what to do. What do they tell us to do? If you're going to be an engineer, be the best engineer you can. Do it with integrity. That's the how. If you're going to be a custodian, do it well. If you're going to be a father, do it lovingly. If you're going to be a spouse, do it lovingly. If you're going to be a boss, if you're going to be someone in charge, be fair. Church spends an awful lot of time teaching us the how. That's why it is a spiritual place, because they are focused on the spiritual aspect of our lives, the howness of us. How many of you How many of you do think would your experience change at work if you were to focus on the how I do my job? Okay, you all have to do something, whatever that is, okay? But if you were to become aware of the how I'm doing something, what is my attitude, what is my heart, what is my behavior, how am I treating my coworkers, how am I treating my boss, even when they're unfair, how am I treating them? it might actually take the whole emphasis off of what we are doing and it puts it onto a higher purpose. If some of you haven't noticed, I have a little bit of a sunburn going on. Do you see kind of that? My forehead's becoming lizard-like today. It's painful, actually. We um, went to the coast this weekend for a friend's wedding. The whole family piled in the car. We take off, we're going to the coast. Um, that was Saturday. Friday, I was watching a TV episode, um, one of my favorite TV shows called Top Gear. Anyone ever heard of it? All right. Um, and they, on, it's a car show, apparently I got another car story. I should just call it, you know, Driving 101. Um, and they, they, had, they did a little contest of can they take an eight-cylinder diesel uh, Audi from London to Edinburgh, Scotland and back, a total of 800 miles on one tank of gas. Okay. Can you do it? 17 gallon tank. Can they do it? Okay. Manufacturer says they can only do about 35 miles to the gallon. They needed to average 40.4 to make this happen. All right. So this is the whole show and they're just watching it and there's jokes and funny stuff going through it. And, but it got me thinking because I'm going, all right, we're going to the coast tomorrow and I'm driving a big old suburban. So I got a whole pile of kids in the back and um, how how good of gas mileage can I get? So we jump in the car Saturday morning, and I am, I am acutely aware of how I am driving. So when we take off, I'm not punching it like I normally do. I'm not focused on trying to pass as many people and get there as fast as I can, which is how I normally drive. I make it from here to Cannon Beach in very good time normally. Um, this time I said, you know what? I'm not gonna worry about how fast, I'm gonna worry about how I drive. So I feathered the gas a lot. I didn't pass anybody. I let lots of people pass me. And it was a, in fact, when we got home that night, my wife turned to me and says, that was a very different kind of trip. I said, how do you mean? Because it was very different for me too, but I, I didn't tell her I was doing this. I didn't tell her I was, I was focusing on this and playing this game. And she, and, and she goes, I don't know, there was something different about you. 
which again makes me go, hmm, there might be something to this. She goes, I wasn't worried about you because you're usually yelling at traffic. And <laughs> Again, I'm just going to put myself in the room with you guys. So you know we're all working on this. Yelling at traffic and, you know, blitzing around people. She said, I didn't worry about any of that. And it was just very relaxing. I didn't worry about, you know, having to take care of you or how you were feeling. And then I told her, this is what I was doing. I was, I was driving in this way. And it made me change my perspective. The how I was driving made it into a very distinct and, and, well, what we're going to be talking about tonight, a very present experience. I wasn't off thinking about something else like I normally am when I'm driving at 75 miles an hour and I'm distracted. My wife, you know, she's in the car with me, but I'm not in the car with her. I'm thinking about something else. I was in the moment, I was with her, I was with the car, I was, I was fully engaged in the moment, and it changed the experience for everyone. The kids seemed to have a really good time. We could ask how they, how they you know, enjoyed their time. We, well, let's ask one real fast. My daughter's in the back of the room, okay? She's, she's been hanging out. What was it like for you, kiddo? Um, it actually seemed faster. Weird. I haven't talked to her about this, by the way. This is totally unscripted, so she could throw me under the bus right now. Go ahead. Um, you go, it's like, I'm always, you know, wanting to do something else. While I'm in the car, I'm always usually listening to the top of my hair, a story or something. Um, but we didn't this time. And it kind of made it more peaceful, just being able to sit. And I was reading a book. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. The family road trip takes on a whole different feel now. And again, this wasn't planned. I didn't expect this to happen for everyone else, but it kind of what naturally happened. How many of you want your next road trip to feel like that? How many of you want your next time you're sitting in traffic to feel like that? How many of you, that's not what traffic feels like right now? <laughs> How many of you are, you know, questioning the lineage of everyone driving around you and all those other things? Yeah, it's, man. <laughs> there you go, yep, yep, there goes someone. Wave. Um, yeah. Country music helps the passing, driving faster, or being present? Really? All right, there's the tip of the night, okay? Don't worry about the Bible, country music. That is, that's, that, there you go. We're going to have some fun tonight. Remember I kind of told you last night, last time we're going to prep you for some, for some um, hands-on kind of stuff this week? I haven't forgotten. We're actually going to be doing some, um, trying some different stuff tonight where... It'll just be interesting to see what happens. So we'll get to that in just a minute. The idea of having this spiritual component to overcome shame is going to be very, very important. Um, my son, Joseph, my son is now, how old is Joseph? 14? He's 14. Um... 
there it is. When my son was three, probably three years old, I was um, sitting in our house. He was sitting on my lap, and I was telling him the story. And I like to make up stories to all my kids when they were younger. And I was making up a story of um, this big bad monster who was coming. And the hero of the story is Joseph, because, you know, that's how all the good stories are. And so we're telling this story for five minutes. And my son is getting into this story. He is, he is totally enjoying this story until finally, at kind of the climax of the, of the story, he jumps up out of my lap, runs across the room, turns around, comes back, and bites my finger as hard as he can. I mean, with those little baby sharp teeth, it's, he, it's like, holy smokes. And I'm going, why in the world just happened? Why in the world did my son just bite me? What did I do? And until, again, I kind of, you know, clicked in my awareness here, and it's like, my son was living the story. He was fully engaged fully present in that story, and he was fighting the bad guy, which apparently was me. He was, he was living this out to the point of he was just had to sink his teeth into something. Children have the capacity to get lost in the moment much, much easier than we do as adults. You ever seen a kid get lost for hours playing with a stick? The box, the really expensive toy came in. You know, a pile of sand, Play-Doh. They get completely enraptured in the things that they are doing. They have the capacity to become fully present in the moment. Not when a kid feels safe, when a child feels, feels um, protected and loved and, again, feels safe. Um, they aren't sitting there worrying about, now, what am I going to be doing tomorrow? And, and now, how are we going to get from you know, our house to preschool and back? I hope we have enough gas to get there. I, I hope, okay, how are the dishes going to be, and what's for dinner tonight? You know, who's going to be making dinner? In fact, they just don't do that. What do they do? They say, I am hungry. Feed me. And they don't, they don't worry about the how-tos. The painful part of growing up is we have to start worrying about the how-tos. How do we get, you know, the bills paid? How do we get from point A to point B? And so life starts hijacking this ability to be present, to get lost in what we are doing. And when we do that, we start missing out on some of the remarkable things that can happen in those moments because there's some really, really good stuff there. When I was um, facilitating up on the challenge course, we had an event called the, the, line, the, the catwalk. It's a log about that big around, suspended in a tree at about 20 feet. Um, and all you do is you climb up one tree and you walk across the log and you walk back and you jump off or climb back down. It's not that complex. People who were uncomfortable with heights, how do you expect they would do that log? Anyone been on something like that, by the way? Know what that's like? Yeah. How did, how did you go through it? Do you remember doing something like that? Sure, yes. That's just silly. I don't know why they set those things up. But the catwalk. What I saw often was someone would climb up and be gripping fingernails into the tree behind them, and here's the log, and they would do this. Ready? Go. And they switch to the rope, and they go like this. Okay, I did that. Can I come down now? I'm done. I did it. 
And I would go, okay, I'll let you come down, no problem. Here's what I need you to do. For safety-wise, I need you to move out to the middle of the log so you don't swing back and hit the tree. So they'd grab onto this, and they'd cut out here, and they'd go, okay, I'm ready to jump, ready? I'd go, hold on, stop, wait a second. And they'd go, what do you mean, wait a second? Hold on, what do you mean, wait a second? It's like, no, no, hold on a second, just breathe. Just stop for a moment. Just be aware of where you are at. And they're going, I don't like it up here. You know, let me get down, let me get down. I said, I'll let you get down any time you want. But what, what do you think you're missing out on in the moment? What do you think you get to see from up there that you don't get to see from anywhere else? And so with a little bit of persuasion, I get them to stop and breathe. And then pretty soon, I would unkindly say, what would happen if you take your right hand and just sort of loosen the grip on that rope? What happens if you take your left hand and loosen the grip on that rope? So now they're standing up there without holding on. What would happen if you just take one little step to the left without holding on? What do you hear while you're standing up there? What do you see while you're standing up there? There are so many amazing things and experiences and sensations and feelings that you don't get while you're standing on the ground that they would have missed if they just would have blitzed through it back and forth. Learning how to stop Learning how to rest, learning how to be, is an essential skill that we lost from when we were children. If it's okay, I think it's time to learn how to do some of that. Would that be okay tonight? Here's what you get to do. I'd like you to pair up with somebody in the room, preferably someone that you aren't married to, dating, writing with, you know, anything else like that. Find someone that you might not necessarily, necessarily know, you know, as, as well. They don't have to be perfect strangers. And what I'd like you to do is like take your chairs and I'd like you to face each other where your knees are not quite touching, okay? You have about three or four inches from your knees, but you're going to be facing straight on. Would that be okay? We have to rearrange the room to do this. Ready? Break. Find someone. I'm going to have an answer for Find someone who looks nice. I'm borrowing your pen, I'll give it back. Everybody find somebody. Everybody got somebody? All right. Grab a seat. Anyone not have anybody? Uh-oh. We can, um, you can do pair up with someone else. There's like three of you in a group. I'd be totally okay with that. That would be just fine. All right. That'll be just fine. Got everybody here? All right, looking good, feeling good, very nice. Here's what I'd like you to do. 
You can't have anything in your hands for this exercise, so you must have empty hands. Okay? Very nice. I'd like you to sit back. You have an invisible friend or something? This is weird. <laughs> All right, then we're going to give him or her 30 seconds to get back here. Real quickly, how many of you are aware of what you're actually feeling at the moment? Anyone want to put some words to the... Confusion. We like confusion. <laughs> a little uh, nervous. Nervous, all right. Uncomfortable. Yes. I'm quite curious what was going to happen. Yeah. Curiosity. Use the word awoken. awoken. There's a descriptive term. Awoken. Apprehensive. Apprehensive. Excellent. Excellent. Here's what I'd like you to do. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to close your eyes again. And we're going to take just a few minutes to get you into the right state of mind here. All right? So please close your eyes. For some of you who are still looking at me, kind of going, what is this guy doing? There's some other feelings going on right there, all right? Maybe um, mistrust or suspicion. Close your eyes. I want you to start at the top of your head. Become aware of the very top of your scalp. I want you to just feel, just become aware of the physical sensation in the top of your scalp. Imagine an egg that has just been cracked on the top of your head and this warm ooze is now going to start dripping down slowly, dripping down your head. It kind of goes down the back of your head and as it does, everywhere this ooze touches, this warm wave that moves down your body, starts to become relaxed. It goes down the side of your head, down by your ears. The muscles behind your ears relax. As it drips over your forehead, become aware of the muscles in your forehead. Let those release, let those relax. If you find yourself with a furrowed brow, make it even more furrowed and then let it relax. Let those muscles completely relax. Become aware of the um, muscles, all the tiny little muscles around your eyes, behind your eyes. Let those release, let those relax. The muscles in your face, your cheeks, your jaw, all of those are going to become incredibly heavy. In fact, it's going to feel like your cheeks are going to start sliding down your face because they're getting so heavy. You are safe at the moment. No one's going to trick you. No one's going to deceive you right now. You're safe. As that wave moves down your neck and your throat, let those muscles relax, let those muscles release. Feel the muscles in your shoulders. Let your shoulders droop as much as possible. Let them get real heavy. All the weight on your shoulders are gonna start dropping. That wave moves down your arms, past your elbows, into your forearms. As you become aware of the Heaviness, the weight in your arms, your hands start to get real heavy. In fact, your hands start to feel like they are 50, 75, 100 pounds. Let your fingers completely relax. Let them completely relax. Your upper body, your arms, your hands 
shouldn't be moving, that requires muscles. See if you can let your body completely relax. Notice your breathing. Just feel your chest rise and fall. Just let yourself breathe however you're breathing. Every time you exhale, let your body become just a little bit heavier, like a balloon that deflates. It deflates just a little bit more every time you exhale. Your stomach becomes very heavy. That wave wraps around your sides, around your ribs, into your back, and you can feel all the muscles. You're aware of all the muscles in your back. They start to relax. They start to release. Your whole upper body now feels about twice as heavy as it normally is. Let yourself just sit there for a moment again. You are safe. No one's going to trick you. No one's going to hurt you. No one's going to touch you. You're safe. Become aware of your waist, your hips. Feel yourself pushing into the chair that you're sitting on. That relaxation moves down your legs, your thighs and your upper legs are get real heavy past your knees, into your calves, let your calves get real heavy. You can feel that wave moving down into your ankles and you can feel all that weight kind of just rest in your feet. You're anchored to the ground. You are super, super connected to the ground right now. While you are completely relaxed, remember that you're safe. What I want you to do is let your body be as still as possible. Let it rest, let it be heavy. And all I want you to do when you're ready, you don't have to do it before you're ready, but when you're ready, all I want you to do is open your eyes. Let your eyes become adjusted to the light. The whole rest of your body stays as heavy as possible. It doesn't move. No other part of your body needs to move, but when you're ready, you're welcome to open your eyes. Let your head be still. Let your facial muscles, especially your facial muscles, let them stay completely heavy still. Let them relax. Open your eyes when you can. All you have to worry about is letting your body be heavy. Again, no one's going to trick you. No one's going to hurt you. Once your eyes are open, all I want you to do is find the eyes of the person across from you, your partner. I want you to see if you can just look at them. I want you to become aware of any other part of your body that gets tight, any muscles that kind of start to move. See if you can just hold their gaze. It's hard. See if you can just hold it. Some people are going to be laughing, that's okay. See if you can let yourself 
be caught looking at the other person and let the other person look at you. I want you to notice what feelings might show up when you do this. See if you can let your whole body be as relaxed as possible. You'll be as heavy as possible. Okay? If you've moved your arms, let them get real heavy again. Pay attention to the muscles in your face. Some of you might notice that your facial muscles still get pretty tight. Just the idea of trying to maintain eye contact feels incredibly vulnerable, scary, uncomfortable, embarrassing. See how long you can just look into the eyes of someone else and be seen. Pay attention to which parts of your body may be tightened up or moved or adjusted. That's usually where you carry some of your anxiousness, your nervous energy. That's where you carry a lot of your emotions and that's what you do to help regulate your emotions. Because they're there. They're there. Everyone has them. See if you can be aware of how difficult it is to completely relax. Now, close your eyes one more time for me, ladies and gentlemen. Let yourself, again, become completely relaxed. Start at the top again, just go real quickly, your facial muscles, your head, your shoulders, your arms, your breathing, your waist, your legs, your feet. Remember that you're safe. I want you to pay attention to what feelings, emotions might have shown up when you had to look at someone in the eyes. See if you have words for it. See if you can find it. See if you can articulate it within yourself. When you're ready, I want you to open your eyes again and find the eyes of the person across from you. You've already done it once, so you know what to expect. You know what they are. You know what they look like. You know what it feels like to be seen and to see someone else. When you're ready, open your eyes. Find the person across from you. This time, this time, in your mind, you don't have to say it out loud. In fact, I don't want you to say it out loud. But I want you to imagine telling the person across from you that most shameful thing or experience you've been in, been part of. They can't read your mind. No one knows it. You're still holding on to it. But let that creep up to the forefront of your mind as if you're telling them, as if you're describing what happened to you, what you have done, what you think about yourself. Pay attention to the emotions that show up and if it's safe enough, let them be there. 
This is a sacred place, ladies and gentlemen. You are holding people's story. All of the stuff that we use to keep ourselves safe and guarded is potentially kind of stripped away right now. You're letting yourself be seen. You're present in this moment as much as possible. I want you to notice how hard it might be for some of you. Oftentimes, laughter and humor is used to cover up pain and embarrassment. And if that's there, that's okay. It is what it is. Being seen in this way is terrifying for some. I think this is how Christ looked at a lot of people. When he walked up to them, I don't think that he always tapped into his divinity to understand people. I think that he was fully present with them. He wasn't afraid to look people in the eye. He wasn't afraid to sit with individuals and to hear their story, to know their pain, to see their pain. You can be Christ for someone that you're sitting across right now. You don't know the details of their story, but it is much closer than it has been all four weeks. I want you to become aware of the emotions that are connected to some of it, the feelings that you have there. When you're ready, feel free to close your eyes again. Let yourself get real heavy. Feel the warmth right now. Feel the temperature of the room. Become aware. Become aware of the physical sensations your body is having. How comfortable you are, how uncomfortable you are, those kinds of things. When you're ready, I want you to start wiggling your toes. And after you wiggle your toes, wiggle your feet a little bit, kind of stretch them out. Start moving on up through your legs, stretch out your calves, your knees, kind of stretch out the lower half of your body. Let it move up. Let it start stretching out your torso, your arms. Kind of wake your body back up again. Stretch if you need to. Stay seated, please, but just stretch, move. Come back to become a real aware of your body again. Become aware of the person with you. After you stretch, after your eyes are open, after everything is kind of relaxed and you're kind of back to reality here. I have most everyone's, I don't see anyone who fell asleep. We're doing pretty good. What I want you to do now is find the eyes of the person across from you again. See if it's a little different this time. Because even though you're not completely relaxed, you're still with them. You are just with them at the moment. It's okay to smile. It's okay to be seen. But you're a little bit more present. 
And even just sitting there and not talking, not conversing about anything, hopefully some of you can feel the difference. You can feel the connection that's happening. You can feel the shared space that you have with that person. See if you can find that. Well done, ladies and gentlemen. When you're ready, if you want to stay in those seats, you can. If you want to move back to people you're more familiar with, you can as well. You can stand up and move for about 30 seconds, and then we'll keep moving forward. We should finish this outside, shouldn't we? It's a little cooler out there. Whoo! I need four volunteers. Who would be willing to volunteer for me? Yeah, none of you are going to raise your hand now, are you? <laughs> I promise I'll take good care of you. Been all right. Let's see if we can pull some of these other folks out there. Anyone absolutely willing to trust me yet? You want to. One, two, three. Let's get one more guy. You want to do it? Fantastic. Come on up. Bring it, we just grab some of these chairs. You're going to come sit up front here and um, be kind of on a, a panel up front. Grab a chair, sit on up here. This is my chair, you can't have it. Nope. You need to face the audience, please. I think we should take an offering to put air conditioning in here. We need one more. Who's my last person? Oh, where'd you go? I changed my mind. Go ahead. Oh, are you sure? That's okay. I need una mas. Would, a, would any ladies be willing to come up to me? Oh, thank you, Sherry. Very, very nice. Very nice. All right. Very, very good. I hope none of you are on a diet. I'd like you to take this. I'd like you to take that. I'd like you to take that. It's all from the same cookie, okay? So I haven't spit on it or licked it or anything else like that. It should be okay. What I'd like you to do, and um, this may or may not work. I have no idea. We're just going to try it out. I would like you to... Take a bite of that cookie, but I don't want you to swallow it. I want you to chew it up. And what I want you to do is I want you to focus on, I want you to focus on the taste, the texture, the experience of eating that cookie. All right? I want you to notice all the things that when we eat normally, we are all about get the food into our mouth as fast as possible. And we just kind of inhale it, and we oftentimes rarely savor did you know that savoring is a in-the-moment kind of thing? It is tasting it and being able to understand the subtleties, the nuances, the different aspects of, of what we are eating. So, so other people know what it looks like. We're going to have you demonstrate if that would be okay. All right, so when you're ready, take a bite of that cookie. And I'd like you to just study the cookie. Be one with the cookie. We're just going to watch you enjoy this cookie. <laughs> and if possible, see if you can ignore us. See if you can only pay attention to what's happening with the cookie. 
pay attention to it. For those of you who might have cookies in the audience or even better, voodoo donuts, you might try this where you're sitting if you're like. me. Don't worry about everyone else. Only the cookie. Don't be worried about what people are thinking about you sitting up here eating a cookie. When any of you are ready, see if you can put some words to what the cookie is like. Sell us on this cookie. What do you notice? For me, it was the taste of the fresh bakedness with the, and you can taste like the brown sugar and all that, and the chocolate mixes into it. Yeah. And it gives that really sweet taste for the and it melts in your mouth. Very good. Very good. You might have a spot on the Food Network. <laughs> Very nice. Sell us on this cookie, someone else. We Yes. And we weren't feeling the quality How about that? There was a resistance, like slowly biting into it. It was like going slower made it harder to bite through. And you bite through and it just feels like the satisfaction of getting through the cookie. Wow. A tactile experience. Very nice. <laughs> you got a lot to live up to. What's your opinion of this cookie? <laughs> Cookie, good. <laughs> a little burnt on the edge. We found the flaw. Huh. Yeah. How many of you knew all of that was in a chocolate chip cookie? That's amazing. That is truly amazing. Thank you very much. You can get out of the hot seat now. One of the things that I might encourage you to do for homework, because learning how to be present, learning how to be connected with your experience in the here and now, is a learned experience. It takes practice. So one of the assignments I give some of my clients who are trying to learn how to be present is I want you to have a meal, just a basic meal at a restaurant or even at home. But Here's how I want you to eat it. I want you to pick up your fork, take a bite, put it in your mouth, take the fork, put it down, fold your hands and chew. And become aware of every bite because it actually starts to change as the meal goes on. The, the, the flavors start tasting differently. The textures start tasting differently. This is why Costco gets you as you're walking through there and they have the little samples. 
because you hadn't had one of those little theses before, and that little bite of, you know, whatever little sample thing they're giving you, it's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so you go buy 12 pounds of, you know, butterscotch chips or whatever you got to get because because you had that one bite and you savored it because you don't have any other bites to disguise it. You actually go slowly with it. That's why they work so well. So for those who want to practice learning how to be present, for those who see some value in being able to just sit and rest, find a friend and say, we're going to have an hour meal for just the eating component. Bite in the mouth, put the fork down, fold your hands, and taste. This is what wine connoisseurs do. You know, they get the little swirling going on. They you know, smell it, and they have to get it going in there. They are savoring every little portion of it. They're trying to find out the woodiness or the temperature or, you know, what kind of shoes the person wore when they made the wine. I don't know much about wine, but apparently they can learn all sorts of things about it just by savoring the different aspects of it that, that now bring out the richness and the variety in it. It's wine. I guess it's important. I have a good friend who really is into wine, and she can make this experience, you know, makes me want to, you know, go along with her to work. But what would it be like if you savored relationships like this? That same friend who's into wine, I had coffee with her the other day, and there was something about just everything lining up just right. I was, the music was just right, the environment was just right, and I just kind of just stopped and rested. And we didn't have to say much between the two of us. And she, again, she kind of looks at me. She says, Paul, you look very peaceful right now. And it, and it was like, I feel peaceful. This is one of those good moments. And I didn't want to miss it. I didn't want to have to fill it up with words or with tasks. Just sit and rest and be Probably one of the first experiences I ever had with, the, with this whole experience of being present took me by surprise. I usually do. Um, my, my other son, Sam, um, him and I enjoy roller coasters. We enjoy amusement park rides. My other son, Joseph, he gets motion sick, so he's not my coaster buddy. He just doesn't do them. So Sam and I, when Sam was about six or seven years old, we went down to Oaks Park. And they got that thing called the Screaming Eagle. Anyone know what that one is? It swings back and forth, and as it swings, it also spins, so it gets that really good churning in your stomach going so that the, the vomit just projectiles out really, really good. And it gets going up really high and all of that. I don't know why, and I'm still trying to kind of figure it out, but it became a convergent, convergence of perfect moments for me. Because the way this ride works... You, um, it's this kind of round um, thing with this, it looks like a big claw, and everyone's sitting on one arm of the claw here, and there's about eight seats on each arm of the claw. So each person has to get in, and then they have to shunk lock you in and make sure you're not falling out. And so it takes them two or three minutes to make sure everyone's locked in and no one's going to be you know, flying off into the stratosphere. So as they're doing that, they also have these large speakers, about this big, in the corners of there. And there was something about the music they were playing. I don't know what it was, but it had just the right beat. It was, it was starting this little crescendo, and it was like this little, you know, this scene from a movie, because you can feel the anticipation coming. You can feel it building. And I got locked in, and my son got locked in. I'm hanging on to him to make sure he doesn't go anywhere, even though he's locked in tight, that dad gene, kind of just you hang on to him, just to make sure he's okay. And 
this music starts to pump and it starts to play. And then what makes this even better is the floor in this place. After they get you locked in, what happens to the floor? It goes out of the way. And it's like, okay. And the crescendo of the music starts building and building. And I can feel my heart just going faster and faster and faster. And then all of a sudden, it starts to swing and spin and swing spin a swing and spin and as you go past the music speakers it gets louder and soft again it spins it goes louder and soft again it comes up and spins you go faster and faster it was a perfect moment in time i couldn't help but have this giant pasted smile on my face because it was just <laughs> sweet all time stopped as a father of four at an amusement park where's my mind normally where's the kids Who's looking after them, making sure they're safe, making sure they're not crying, making sure they're not sick, making sure they're not eating gum off the ground, making sure they're not doing all these things. And for, for three minutes on this ride, all of that stopped. And I was in that moment with my son flying through the air. And I got off that ride again, and I, was, I literally just stopped and I said, what was that? That was a perfect moment in time. I haven't been on it since because I don't actually want to taint it. I'm afraid it won't ever live up to that, to that experience again. But it was good. It was fantastic. That is being fully present. That is being in the moment. Here's the question I want to ask you. For the four who are sitting here eating cookies, when you were focused on the cookies, when you were focused in the moment, were you worried about anything else? You weren't. Were you worried about anything else? Yep. So you might have had a little bit of a harder time. I was. How many of you saw that on Mitch's face? He was kind of going, "What's people thinking of me? What are we doing? Why are you going up here?" Saw it a little bit on your face. How about for you? Okay. Got it. Where there is. I am thrown under the bus, so this whole example ain't working at all. Shoot. Doggone it. Let's close in prayer. Father, um, help me out, Sherry. Okay, you gotta bail me out, okay? How about when you were sitting in pairs and before I asked you to think of the shameful thing? How many of you were just kind of um, present with the person in the moment. Possibly get closer to that place. When we become present in the moment, when we aren't worrying about what's going to be happening in the future, trying to control that, and when we aren't worried about what's happened in the past, trying to do damage control there, when we are fully present, we don't sit in shame. Isn't that weird? But that's not quite true. I mean, I don't know him very well. And so there's little animosity. There's like, I'm constantly staring at the person I don't know. I feel awkward. Fair enough. What do you think that would change, though, if it was someone that you knew, that you can truly be seen, you can truly be comfortable with? Do you think that that would change? Mm -hmm. I think then it would kind of, what do they think my motive is? Why do they think I'm doing that? I'd be concerned that would, that would suggest to me that you're still having a hard time being fully present because someone who can get into that moment, and, it, and again, it takes practice, there becomes a shift 
when all of those concerns and worries fade into the background and you are just in the here and now, and in the here and now, you are okay. We're all still breathing, right? We might be a little bit warm, okay? We might be a little bit toasty, but we are okay right here, right now. Mitch. For me, it was actually kind of amazing because it was like, I was feeling my pain, they are feeling their pain, it was kind of both our pains going together and it was kind of like almost an understanding with each other, like we understood what we were each other going through. And that's what I really felt in that my little circle. It's like, man, I'm not the only one that feels, feels this. Yeah. And so it was kind of really powerful for me. Yeah. Anyone else want to put some words to what their experience was? Yeah. 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 Like I said, a sacred place. This is your first time here? We're really sorry. Just that we apologize now. We don't normally do this. Okay, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> For me, a big part of why I'm, I will say, it was a welcome thing, exercise for me. Because it felt like, because Dustin wants me to see me Yeah. So for somebody to, you know, I'll be wearing the trains or work or but why not I'm always trying to make eye contact with people. Yeah. In this culture, make eye contact with them, eye contact with them away. So I can never really connect. And so when I have somebody actually looking into me, for me I felt like I just wanted to explode to say this is who I am. Yeah. For me it was kind of a difference. Yeah. One or two more. Jimmy. Did it feel safe? Yes, very safe. Trusting. Can I ask you another question? Absolutely. Where was your focus on your shameful stuff at that moment? How close were you to that? Could have gone there. Wow, that's a pretty safe place. 
How about that? One more. You. I am um, the person that lived, I know. The person knows most of my songs, but yet uh, I couldn't keep the eye contact and going. I'm a big eye contact guy, but yet they call me a bigger hider. So even though the trust is there, like yeah. How many other people had a hard time holding the eye contact? Okay, so we have a theme. Why do you think that is? Because you're not the only ones here. Yeah. <laughs> so you're wondering what he's thinking? Yeah. Got it. Good. Good, good, good. Someone else. Yeah. 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 It is. Thanks Even for not if it was doing like that. my mom doing it, like it would be really, really hard. Yeah. We don't have to go anywhere to hide sometimes. We hide in our posture, in our facial expressions. makes me wonder if you could learn how to control the physiological responses, learn how to let the laughter move through, what would show up after that, what would show up if you can let your body, the energy that it has, rest, what might show up. I'm a very inquisitive person. One more. Huh. Yeah. Because I don't really think about the fact that other people also like have shameful things or also worried about like being seen. Yeah. But before that, it's just like, I'm freaking this part of my stomach too. And then when like, you're both thinking about the same people, it's just like so much more of a shared humanity. Sure. That's a good way of putting it shared humanity. Absolutely. This is one time for 20 minutes on a Monday night in a room with lots of people. What do you think would happen if you practiced this and got really good with it, even with your spouse? I think with people that you are comfortable with, that you get to know, it actually sometimes can become harder because it takes more concerted effort and intentionality to be seen in those ways.
questions at all? Thoughts? Something pressing that you want to make sure you get vocalized before we wrap up? I'm going to read one quick story, and then we'll go. Thank you for being willing to try something tonight, to put some action and activity behind theory. I hope many of you learned important things about yourself, about what you do with your uncomfortability, whether it is picking up your purse and bolting, whether it's laughing, whether it's feeling safe and wanting to go there, whatever it is, don't miss it. We are built for this. We are built for this. We're built for it this way. Okay? Our creator knows us intimately, deeply, personally. Sometimes confession isn't all about informing him. He kind of already knows. Confession is being honest with ourselves and making it real. So, this way, being seen in that way, and then this way. There will be different levels, okay? You don't connect at this uber deep level with everybody, but get connected with one or two people this way. It's valuable. It is life-saving. It is essential. I'd encourage you to try it, okay? Remember I told, read you the story about Larry, Larry Crabb and the um, breakfast he was invited to where all his friends told him that um, he gives them more of his head and less of his heart? The story continues. It was shortly after that encounter that an acquaintance of mine tried to commit suicide. What he did should have killed him, but he survived. I was asked to help. For, for more than six months, I worked with this man in therapy. Even now, I can recall the session, I think it was the 10th, where I came up with an insight that put so much of his pain into new perspective. I remember him saying, how on earth did you figure that out? I humbly shrugged and said, hope it helps. In the middle of our work together, I happened one spring day to be driving through the local college campus and saw my depressed client sitting on the grass with a friend. They were laughing, I'm not clear why, but I felt a strong desire to join their good time. Every reason why I shouldn't join them ran instantly through my head. Too much to do, it would be awkward, even unprofessional to socialize with a client. But the words of my friends over breakfast came back to me. Was I afraid to just be with this man, to take off the Dr. Crab white coat, to stop being an expert and offer myself as a person? On an impulse, I stopped my car, walked over to where they were sitting, their backs towards me. When I got close, they heard my footsteps and turned. I greeted them both and said to my client, how are you? Picture what it would be like to have your therapist while you're in the middle of a, <laughs> middle of a treatment for suicidal depression walk up to you in a casual setting and ask, how are you? <laughs> he wrinkled his face into a serious expression, <clears throat> coughed a few times and said, well, maybe a little better, still really worried about. I interrupted, no, no, I don't mean how are you doing with your struggles. I'm just social, sociably asking, how are you doing? He replied, you mean like, fine, thanks? Yes, exactly. In that case, fine, thanks. Can you join us? Sure, I've got some time. For the next 30 minutes, I didn't say one intelligent thing. I just enjoyed two friends. Three years later, I met him for coffee during a trip to the town where he was then living. He was doing well. 
At one point in our conversation, he thanked me for my influence on his life. I asked what he remembered that had helped him the most, and there was no hesitation. It was that half hour you sat on the grass with me and my friend and just chatted. He was warmly smiling. I was indignant. Don't you recall that life-changing insight I came up with in the 10th session of therapy? Um, nope. <laughs> Can you refresh me, please? I believe that the work we do in therapy was important, but I also believe that the time I most clearly led with my heart rather than my head was a time of greatest power. Perhaps then he could trust whatever else I said, or perhaps that moment on the lawn did the most actual healing. Being present, being with people is therapeutic. It's probably bad for my profession to tell you that, but it's true. I actually wish that my occupation wasn't necessary because I believe that we are, have the capacity to heal with each other. It takes practice. If you don't know how to do it and you need help, if sitting with someone in the real world is scary, find a professional to sit with because they might know what to do with some of it. They are trained to hold your heart well. But do it. Get caught. Get seen. All right? I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to let you go. Father in heaven, thank you that you know us already. Help us humble ourselves, find the courage to look you in the eye, to face you even when we might be ashamed or embarrassed of ways we might have sinned against you. Help us come to you so that we can experience your forgiveness and your grace and your love for us. Again, thank you that you are a good God, that we can trust that fact even when sometimes there isn't evidence or understanding of how you work. Help those in the room who are struggling, who are carrying the weight of still some of their choices or some of the questions they have. Bring them peace this week. Thank you that you love us. And in your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.